Well, if you've been looking at your sermon cards for the term ahead, you'll notice that we're going to be starting a new sermon series next week on Lamentations, which I guess, for most of, most of us, I guess, is quite an unfamiliar book. Um, one of those which you may have to turn to the index of the Bible to find out where it is. Um, the name doesn't exactly suggest that this series is going to be a bundle of laughs, is it Lamentations? I could just say, well, it was Jeff's idea, and let him... <laughs> and let him answer why we're doing it. But I think there's some very good reasons why it makes sense to study a book like Lamentations. Especially the prophet who wrote it, and that's generally considered to be Jeremiah, and that's why we're looking at uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 this morning by way of introduction to the sermon series. He lived at a time um, in which the society in which he lived was, was turning its back on God and Despite his persistent warnings, despite everything he had to say, uh, it continued to do that, and the result was, was destruction for that society. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and the people were taken into exile. And living in the UK in the 21st century, I think we too effectively live in a society which has become increasingly secular, in which people have turned away from God. Increasingly, they see him as irrelevant to their needs. I hope in the current economic situation there will be many who realise that actually maybe they do need God. It is foolish to try and live life without him. And if you are someone here this morning who has not yet turned to him, I do hope this morning that you will see why it is so important to do so. If you are already a Christian, then I hope this series will speak to you about the serious consequences of the direction in which our society is heading and the urgency of our call to do something about it. Well, by way of background to Jeremiah, let's just see what the first few verses have to, to tell us. Uh, if you look at the first one, we see that uh, his father was a priest, so he was a, a preacher's kid, a PK, not always an easy path to follow. He lived at Anathoth, which was a village close to Jerusalem, so he knew exactly what was going in Jerusalem, but also on the edge of the, the desert. And he became a prophet in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. And that would be 626 BC. It was a time of great political turmoil in that region with three great superpowers vying for, for domination. There was Assyria, there was Babylon, there was Egypt. Assyria having already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. Now Josiah was a good king and it was under his reign that uh, important Religious reforms uh, were, were, were carried out and pagan worship was wiped out. But he was succeeded by his sons, it says here, um, Jehoiakim and um, Zedekiah. And uh, it was under these sons of his, during his, their reigns, that things quickly went downhill, culminating, as I've said, in the destruction of Jerusalem. The people were exiled to Babylon and um, Jeremiah himself was exiled to Egypt. So in total, Jeremiah served as a prophet for 40 years, 40 years in which he was weeping for his nation, a nation that had turned its back on God. That is why he's often referred to as the, the weeping prophet or the crying prophet. I'm just going to take a quick leaf out of the book of Stuart Curry from uh, London City Mission last week and uh, show you a, a painting. Um, this is a painting, I'll ask uh, 
Jill is by, but uh, I don't know if she's here. It's by, um, can you spot it, Jill? I won't embarrass you. It's Michelangelo. It's on the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and it's called Jeremiah. And just look there at the despair that the artist tries to depict that we, we see in Jeremiah from his ministry. Everything looking downwards, his face, his eyes are downwards, his, his, he's hunched up, he's turning sideways from all the blows he's received. He's got his hand in front of his mouth as though he's got nothing more to say. He's said it all and nobody's listened to him. And even the, his companion at the back there has got the same posture, this very depressing, despairing posture, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And Lamentations um, was written after the, the end of his, his ministry, after the destruction of Jerusalem, after the exile. It's a, it's a cry from the heart of Jeremiah. And in, in the process of him crying out to God, he's almost trying to understand the suffering that his pe- people are experiencing. As with the, uh, the laments in the Psalms, um, in the midst of that despair... Hope can be found. Hope that comes from a God who we'll see in a few weeks' time, whose compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We'll come on to that. But this morning I'm going to concentrate on Jeremiah's call. So let's turn to uh, verse 5 of this passage. And what we see here is that the emphasis is very much on what God did. The only thing really, as we look at verse 5, that Jeremiah did was that he was born. And uh, probably didn't get much choice in that. But it was God here, it says, who knew him, who set him apart, who appointed him as a prophet. But the most amazing thing here is that all this happened, it says, before I formed you in the womb. Not even before you were born, but before you were conceived. You know, yes, our coming into this world happens by, by natural biological processes, but God, it makes clear here, is the giver of life. It's God who uses those processes to plant human life in the womb. And the implication of that is that human life has an identity before it is even formed, before it is formed in the womb. So we can't say, as some will, that <coughs> you know, a fetus only has a right to live when it starts to feel pain or when it would be able to survive outside of the womb. God knows us personally before we were even conceived. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And that hopefully would give comfort to women who've lost babies during pregnancy. Hopefully it would give comfort to those who've maybe even had abortions and subsequently regretted it. God knows us personally before we were even conceived. For those who have children, I think it's a, a good thing to keep reminding them that they are known personally and loved by God, as we sang in that song earlier on. The lyrics were, and he's known me, and he's loved me since before the world began. How wonderful to be a part of God's amazing plan. The other amazing thing here is that God set Jeremiah apart before he was formed. To set something apart is to, to dedicate it, to dedicate it to, to holy service. It's a part of what we do, and we have a, a dedication service here for for, for children. The parents are, are dedicating themselves to God to, to bring the child up in, in a Christian way. Um, but they want him or her to be set apart for God. 
Now, there's many challenges in the Bible for people to make a decision for God. Joshua said to the people of Israel as um, they took possession of the promised land, he said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. On the day of Pentecost, Peter told the Jews, listening to him, he said, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And it carries on to say, those who accepted his message, who responded to that, were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And sometimes when we focus on the decision that we have made for Christ, and we have to make that decision, but sometimes we forget if we are those who have been saved, then it was by God's grace that we've been saved, that he loved us before we loved him. It wasn't just that Jeremiah here was special. It wasn't he who was the only one that this happened to. If we are believers, then it means God has chosen us before we chose him. If you want to see that, let's just turn to Ephesians in the New Testament, very briefly. Ephesians chapter 1, page 1173, if you've got a church Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, says here, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And if you look on to verse 11, it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Jeremiah, like all of us, was chosen. Jeremiah was also set apart to do something special. What was he set apart to do? What was his task? How was he commissioned Well, back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's have a look at verse 10 there. It says there, the Lord speaking, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build up or build and to plant. Three couplets, two negative commands, uproot, tear down and destroy and overthrow. And one positive one, build and plant. The principal task for Jeremiah at that time was to announce God's judgment on a a rebellious people. That is why it's such a desperate task. That is what the vision, if you look on to, to verse 13, is about. When he says, what do you see? And he says, I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. That tilting pot is an image of disaster that God will pour out on those who rebel against him. And God makes clear that when these foreign kings come from the north and invade Jerusalem and overcome it and take the people into exile, that will be God's doing. To the foreign armies, they will probably simply think, well, they just extended their kingdom a bit more. But God is saying here, I am about, verse 15, to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms. Through them, he's going to judge his people. And the reason he gives 
is that um, it's because of their wickedness. Look in verse 16. Because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshipping what their hands have made. This is the, the big sin that God's people have committed. They've rejected him. They've worshipped other gods before him, false gods, gods that they have made, things that they've hold up themselves. And this is a huge challenge that Jeremiah is being given. He will have to go and pronounce God's judgment on those who've rebelled against him. It's not a particularly enviable task, is it? Not the sort of one that everybody's queuing up to do. Let me get in there first. The positive message that will come out of the book of Lamentations is that grace and mercy will have the last word. It will be God who takes the initiative and restores that broken down relationship through Jesus Christ. And he confirms this to Jeremiah, this hope, with a vision of the branch of the almond tree. Look there in verse 11. Probably a a tree covered with with white blossom, indicating the promise of spring and warm weather. I think most of us are longing to see that as well at the moment. But it's also a wordplay, if you read the commentators, for watching. God says here is watching, he says, I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. He's saying, I'm very much awake here, I'm very much watching and waiting for all that I've promised to come to pass. I haven't disappeared. I'm still very much here with you. Out of the ruins of the destroyed cities, he will bring renewed hope. He will build and he will plant. don't know if any of you have seen the film uh, Wally, uh, but they're the only thing left on earth amidst the, the ruins, amidst the mountains of rubbish, is a solar-powered robot all the humans have fled the planet. They're flying around space in a spacecraft for a few hundred years. Um, and they keep sending out these little probes to different planets to go and see whether there's any sign of life. And one of these probes comes to Earth and uh, finds this one small little weed, a small, tiny, tiny plant that is proof that there is hope. There is a chance to to rebuild something out of the ruins, like the branch of the almond tree. Tearing down and building up is God's plan of salvation. Jesus Christ said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The temple he was referring to was his body as we'll be remembering the Lord's Supper in just a short while. His body was was destroyed. It was torn down from the cross. It was put in the grave. But God planted life, resurrection life, into that body. We opened our service by singing, See what a morning, gloriously bright, with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. And he does the same with us. The Holy Spirit will uproot, he will tear down sin in our lives and then he will resurrect us as he plants faith, as he builds obedience in our lives. If we look at the state of the church in different countries of the world, there are countries where the church was in ruins. 
If you look at uh, China, which tried to, to wipe out Christianity under Chairman Mao, and yet today has a flourishing church of 50-odd million people. Sadly, in this country, the opposite has happened, as people have turned their backs on God. And we're not just witnessing a, a decline in the number of people going to church, but an eroding of Christian values, an eroding of Christian freedom. I don't know whether you read in the, in the press about the number of cases of Christians now being discriminated against. Just these last couple of weeks, there was a nurse suspended for just offering to pray with a patient. This week, a five-year-old girl was reduced to tears after a teacher told her off for speaking about Jesus. Her mother, who was the school receptionist, uh, asked her friends in the church to pray about the situation, and she's now also facing disciplinary proceedings. What is our task as Christians in such a society? Well, in many ways, it's the same as the task that was given to Jeremiah. It's to, to uproot and tear down and to build and plant. We may live in a part of the country that is still quite favourable towards Christianity. But let's not kid ourselves. You know, as Christians in this country, we are very much in a minority, in a declining minority. Which is why it's so important here to take the shoot that is growing and to build and plant. Obviously, God's not talking here about building projects and church planting projects, but we need to be doing all we can, using all the resources at our disposal to fulfil God's mission for us. And that is, as we, we've seen here, as it's on the notice sheet this week, to see unbelieving people become committed followers of Jesus Christ, sharing with them the real hope that we have for eternity. Building and planting. Where does a tearing down come into it? Well, it's tearing down those things that people are currently putting their, their trust in. Their material goods. Their health. Their leisure. Their success. Even their, their good deeds may be their form of security. Helping people to understand that in a very gentle and a very gracious way that those things don't last. And in the current economic situation, I think people are beginning to realise that. They're of no spiritual significance. At the end of the day, we can't convince people ourselves. That is not our, our work. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we can pray that he will do his work in their lives. But Jeremiah is not someone who's particularly mad about accepting the mission that God has given him. I think he would be quite happy to allow the tape to self-destruct in five seconds and uh, choose not to accept the mission. Which is not an uncommon reaction, is it? Even when you look at the Bible about the great leaders in the Bible who are given important missions to do. Moses, when he was asked, he said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Isaiah didn't feel he was worthy enough. He said, Woe to me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Or Jonah, he didn't even say anything. He just ran away. Here Jeremiah says, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. I don't know if you've ever thought why it is that those who don't feel that they are up to it are often actually the best servants 
of Christ. The reason is, I think, because having such a low opinion of themselves, they are more reliant on God. And so they, they pray much more frequently that God would equip them, be with them as they undertake to, to them what is a quite a daunting task. I think a danger sometimes for those who feel quite confident is that that confidence is in themselves and their abilities. And they, they sometimes forget that those abilities do actually come from God in the first place. And so there's a danger of preparing things half-heartedly, doing things off the cuff, knowing that they can get away with it. But God isn't interested in what people can get away with. He's interested in total dependence on him, seeking his blessing, his strength. And so God says here to Jeremiah, don't say, I'm only a child. And he reassures him by saying, I am with you. I will rescue you. He repeats it again at the end of this passage. And so these words are of key importance here. I am with you. It's the same reassurance that, that God gives Moses, that he gives Joshua. It's the same reassurance that Jesus gives his disciples when he commissions them before his ascension. This is what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he finishes, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Jeremiah's task is one where he needed to know that. He needed that reassurance. It was one that was going to prove very lonely. God says to him, In verse 17, he says, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, Whatever I command you. They're not going to like it. They are going to take it out on you. But he continues, Don't be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. The reason you don't need to be terrified by them is that I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. And the surprising thing is that this pillar, this bronze wall, is not to stand up against the the enemy nations. It's actually to stand up against your own people. It says, as you turn over the page, it's against the kings of Judah. It's officials, it's priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you. As we call people to turn to God, we too will will make enemies. People will resent us for it. The question is, how much do we love those people to be prepared to do that? There's a comedian called uh, (coughs) Penn Gillette. He's quite a strong vocal atheist. And uh, he was recently uh, evangelised by a Christian. And uh, he uh, he said this about the experience that he had. He said, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytise, basically to evangelise, to to tell them about Christianity. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytise? 
How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. That's coming from an atheist. Whether it's social awkwardness, whether it's, in some countries, a threat of death that is preventing us from warning people about the judgment that awaits them. The fact is that we all find it difficult, don't we? And that is why God's words to Jeremiah are so helpful for us. I am with you. Not only did Jeremiah have God by his side, he also had his words on his lips. It says there, back in verse 9, the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, now I've put my words in your mouth. That is why the words of Jeremiah will have so much power. When God says he appoints him over nations and kingdoms, it's because God is sovereign over the nations. And when prophets speak in his name, they are mightier than kings. That is why when we speak God's words today, they carry great power. The question is, do we have confidence in those words? Do we have confidence that God is with us when we speak those words? Jeremiah had a very special calling. It was to be a prophet to the nations. Our our call may be different, but we all still have the the same call, and that is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in an unbelieving world. In Jeremiah's life, he experienced the decline of a great nation, a nation that turned its back on God, turned to idolatry, and ended up being exiled, being cast out of the land which had been given to them. Jeremiah wept for the sins of his people. Jesus weeps over a lost world. How much do we weep for our lost world? Or have we become so much a part of it that we don't see the seriousness of the situation? And the death and resurrection of his son that we are are going to celebrate now God has destroyed sin. He's overthrown sin. He will plant new life in you if you will accept that gift from him. If you've already accepted that gift, then how much does your life testify to the greater hope that you have? How much does it testify to the seed of life that God has planted in it? God has given us a commission to be witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ, using the personalities, the gifts that he's given each one of us. We are the ones God has chosen to do his work of building and planting. What a great privilege that is, that he would entrust it to us.